Of the hot wash with CJ and Alex. Alex, how are you today, girl? I'm fantastic. We've got a remarkable man on with us today, the Honorable Mark Green, Tennessee Senator. Hey guys, how are y'all? Great, Senator Green. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I'll tell you what, it's definitely a, an honor to have Senator Green on the show. Uh, I have to say, I've known. Uh, 
Senator and Dr. Mark Green for a very long time. We served together in the uh, the military, uh, spent a lot of time together in uh, the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, uh, also known as the Night Stalkers. And it's definitely a big honor to have, uh, you know, a fellow Night Stalker on my show uh, who also uh, aspired and, and went on to uh, become a state senator for the state of Tennessee. So I definitely want to say thank you for coming on today, uh, Doc Green, and uh, it, it's an honor to have you here with us for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the, the, the honor is mine, so really appreciate you guys having me. So we'll get right uh, get right in it uh, and, and start talking about this. You know, I've known uh, known you for quite a while, Senator Green, and uh, I have a hard time saying Senator Green because I've known you as Doc so long, so <laughs> – it's, it's kind of hard for me to get used to calling you Senator instead of uh, instead of Doc. So I might slip up every once in a while and uh, throw the Doc in there. But, uh, you know, that's, you've had quite an okay. interesting career. Uh, and I guess, you know, what we usually do, uh, you know, we've got questions for you, obviously, uh, that we're going to we're gonna ask you for during this interview. Um, but uh, I guess one of the things that I'll start out with and, and kind of set the tone or set the screen for everyone is uh, ask you, who is Mark Green? Where did you come wow, from, that's, uh, you that's, know, and bring us through that? Well, CJ, that's a that's a, an open-ended way to a- ask the question. Um, you know, I think uh, you know the first thing that, that comes to mind is you know I'm a I'm a father and a dad and a husband. Uh, I've got a wife and two kids. And my kids are are just great. Uh, my wife and I have been together 28 years. She's followed me all around the army and uh, just been very fortunate and blessed to have have her be with me. But um, it started out for me, um, grew up in Mississippi and went to West Point, got a degree there in economics and decided to be, you know, if you're going to, if you can't fly, why be in the Air Force? And if you can't be in, you know, the Army, at least back then, I, I, I thought if you can't be in the infantry, why be in the Army? So I went in the infantry and did that for, I guess, about nine years. And I was in command in the 82nd when dad, uh, my father had a, a really traumatic uh, medical event happen and a surgeon saved his life and so I asked the Army if they'd send me to med school, and they did. And, you know, off to uh, off to med school I went. And I'm in my third year of my emergency medicine residency when 9-11 happens. And I know everybody can kind of remember where they were when they saw those towers. And, um, you know, for me, just a few days after that, I got a call from Special Operations Command that said, hey, are you that ex-Army you know, Army, uh, infantry company commander, ranger guy that um, – you know, is an ER physician. I said, yeah, that's me. And, and it's a guy you would probably know, Rocky Farr, uh, CJ made that call. And I said, yeah, I'm, that's me. And he said, well, we want you to come to the dark side of the force. And so uh, <laughs> I flew up to, to Campbell and did my interview and all my psych tests. And they said, yeah, okay, farm boy from Mississippi, you'll be fine. And uh, so they took me in. Um, that's how I got to uh, to be with you guys. And um, the unbelievable opportunity to serve with the greatest pilots on the planet um, and the best medics in the United States Army um, there at 160th. And I learned so much uh, and I think shared a little bit while I was there too. But uh, that was a great experience. And then got out of the Army, started my own company. And, you know, that, that company has now grown. God has blessed it. We're in eight states. I got 700 doctors working working for us. Uh, 700 providers and um you know it's it's just exploding we've got some free medical clinics that we run just 
because to him who's been given much, much will be expected. You know, you got to give back. So we've got some free clinics that we run, one in Memphis and one in uh, in Clarksville here, and okay. we're starting two in um, Nashville here over the summer. Um, I did want. And then I ran. For I did office. want to ask. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that's okay. And then I ran for office, and now I'm a Tennessee state senator. So. <laughs> Fantastic. I wanted to ask you about your foundation, AlignMD. Um, I read something. It's uh, whatever you do, work with all your heart as uh, working for the Lord, not for human masters. What does your foundation do and what's its mission? Yeah, so the foundation, uh, and that's, um, there's a verse in um, Colossians that says, you know, whatever you do, do it with a whole heart. And so we made mm-hmm. some T-shirts that say "Wholehearted," and mm-hmm. uh, and you know we use those to raise funds for the uh, for the foundation. But the foundation basically provides free health care, no questions asked. We don't ask people you know if they've got insurance or anything like that. If you come to Mana Cafe Thursdays, you're going to get free health care, and we always have it staffed. And in Memphis, we've got um, a clinic at a church, um, True Vines Baptist Church, and it's in you know a disadvantaged part of the city. Uh, taking care of people who are who are kind of left out of the current system uh, economically, and and we're we're just trying to serve their their needs. Um, and we were initially when the when the foundation was sort of envisioned, I thought it would be an overseas project. So we went to Cambodia, we went to Ethiopia, went to Haiti, Honduras, and some other countries, and we just couldn't we couldn't find what we were looking for a, a permanent place to staff some clinics in disadvantaged parts of the world. And then we realized, oh, my gosh, there's such a need here in the United States. So we, we just started doing free clinics here in Tennessee, and that's that's what we do with the foundation. That's fantastic. And what do you think is the, the I guess, the the biggest problem within the communities as far as health? Is there just one commonality even around the world? Well, you know, the, the problem with health, uh, the health care system is the third-party payer has caused inflation in health care to grow beyond what the economics of a free market would allow. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, when we were going to Cambodia, we were we sent everybody to a very large educational hospital in Nashville to remain nameless um, to get their medical shots before they went to Cambodia. And my docs called me and they say, Mark, it's going to be $750 per doc. And this was we were paying for this with money from our not-for-profit. So this isn't like some insurance company. So I said, okay, hold on, and I called around to three or four different hospitals, and I got it at $150 at another hospital. Wow, but if my that's co-pay, a big difference. Yeah, but if my copay had been 50 bucks at this hospital or 50 bucks at that hospital because I had a third-party insurer, why would I shop? Mm-hmm. So the system is causing inflation that is beyond what the true economics would ever allow, and so consequently – We've got what we've really got to do is fix that third-party payer system, and Obamacare isn't the solution because all it does is ramp, you know, billions of federal dollars through the exchange to the third-party payer system, the insurance company. So, um, you know, unless unless we can incentivize people to save with like a health savings account or something like that, we're we're never going to cut the cost of health care, and it's eventually going to bankrupt, and people won't be able to afford it. You know, so. Yeah. Well, for those of you who might just tuned in, uh, I want to throw this out here so uh, we have you know, have a chance to call in. We're live on the air with uh, Tennessee State Senator Dr. Mark Green. He's live on the hot wash with uh, CJ and Alex. 
If you want to call in and ask any questions today, uh, if you have questions for Dr. Green, uh, Senator Green, or uh, Alex or myself, you can call us at 646-478-0325. That's 646-478-0325. We're live with uh, Tennessee State Senator Dr. Mark Green. Uh, Senator Green, I have to ask you uh, – oh, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I don't know um, if uh, if it's my phone or Alex's phone, but I just uh, I lost that question. I didn't quite catch it. Yeah, I think Alex, you might have broke up. So I would. Alex, you're definitely having some difficulties with your communication, girl. So uh, while Alex gets her phone fixed, uh, I'll go ahead and ask you a couple of questions, uh, Dr. Green. What's uh, yeah, far away. You, you kind of spoke about what made you, uh, what inspired you to become a doctor because uh, you know the sickness and what your father had, and that inspired you to, to take on medicine. Um, what what really? Um, I've known you for a long time, and I think I already know the answer. But uh, for our listeners out there, what? drove you to becoming a state senator? What made you want to run for office and, and pursue well, you know, a career? Um, if I hate the word, but as a politician, what made you want to become a senator? Yeah, no, I, it, it's the same reason why, you know, we all went in the Army. We love our country, and, you know, and, and probably more accurately, we love the country of a few years ago. Um, you know, we love freedom. Uh, we, we believe in the founding principles of, of the country, um, and you know, that's why I went in the Army to defend that, that freedom. And it's the same reason I became a, a state senator, because I, I love that country. I think it's the, the best way, um, you know, for mankind, and, and so I want to see that preserved. And, I, and I've sensed over the past 10 years that we're losing that that the country is becoming something that, uh, you know, the founders never, ever intended. I mean, when the federal government can come down to Tennessee and tell us what we need to do with our bathrooms, you know, that's just not, that's not what um, the founding fathers envisioned would be the way the country would run. And so I'm in the fight, so to speak, in the arena trying to make sure that those kinds of things are undone and, um, you know, the country returns to its founding principles. I I absolutely have to agree with you on that. And, you know, I usually don't touch on the subject of religion uh, on on the radio show very often. Uh, I believe you know uh, – I don't believe I know. You know how my uh, religious faith is and, and my background. But I can definitely say that there are a lot of people up in arms, uh, both on the religious side and the you know unreligious side about the transgender bathroom issue. And a lot of people, you know, the diehard Christians want to say, "Oh, you're not being Christ-like if we turn them away." Uh, and and I, before I clear you hot uh, on a run, like I know you're getting ready to uh, cut loose on with this issue, I've uh, I've, I've Debated this issue with several people. Um, I've debated debated it with you know strong Christians, people who are somewhat think they're Christian or, or you know have some religion in their life, people who are atheists. Uh, I've debated it with 
homosexuals, you know, from the gay community to the lesbian community. And my core issue with this issue is just anybody can go into a bathroom and say they associate with being a woman or they feel like they should have been a woman. And any pervert or predator can waltz right into the bathroom, and they're in there with my my wife, my daughter, my sister, my mother. And this is being forced down our kids' throats in school. So that's that's why I have a huge problem with it. Well, there's there's two reasons to have a big problem with it. One uh, is simply the states' rights issue. There's no place in the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, that says that the federal government can impose on the state of Tennessee and, uh, you know, uh, and tell us how we are to use our bathrooms, even in our school systems. I mean, even th- the only mention of education in the U.S. Constitution is that it's a local thing. Um, you know, so th- this notion that the federal government can, can come in and tell the state of Tennessee how to do that is just absolutely unconstitutional. Uh, it's an it's a massive overstep of the federal government, and quite frankly, we've got to start standing up to this uh, because the states have just been walked all over. Now, the other side of that issue is there are 300,000 rapes in the United States every year, 300,000 women who are sexually assaulted by predators. We know this. It's documented. It's factual. Um, to, to to think that some young young guy isn't going to uh, take advantage of the system where we're going to allow guys to go into the bathroom, the women's bathroom, and to think that that's not going to happen is just ridiculous. And and further, if, if 300,000 women are raped every year, that means in a course of 10 years, there's 3 million women in America who are struggling with that issue. There, in 20 years, there's 6 million. So that means there are millions of women who potentially could be suffering the PTSD of having been raped and, and they're sitting in a bathroom, and they see a guy come walking in? I mean, how insensitive, how incredibly insensitive is that for the political left to think that this is just should be okay? You know, the, the political left oftentimes beats up on the political right and, and accuses us of having some war on women. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is a, a war on women as far as I'm concerned, but it's coming from the left, and it's ridiculous. Um, so I will – and as far as the religious argument goes, and this applies to the issue of Syrian refugees as well. You know, There's a big fuss about whether or not we should sue the federal government over having to take refugees from Syria into the state of Tennessee. I believe we should sue the federal government in that case because Romans 13 mm-hmm. is pretty doggone clear. This is the passage where it tells people to submit to the authorities over them, meaning basically if you're in a government, you should do what the government tells you to do. You know, Don't speed, all that kind of stuff. Obey the laws is basically what the passion says, but what it goes on to say is what because the government exists for two purposes. The government exists to honor those people who do who live honorably, who do good things, to reward people who behave well, and to crush evil. So that means as a state senator, my responsibility very clearly in Romans 13 is to create an environment where people who do right are rewarded and people who do wrong are crushed. Evil is crushed, and so mm-hmm. I'm going to protect women in their bathrooms, and I'm going to protect our state against potential infiltration of Syrian ISIS people through a refugee program. And whoever wants to stand up and take me on on that, I'm ready to fight. I think that's amazing, uh, Senator Green. I, I I knew what your answer was, and I I was very excited to hear you say that. 
and especially you know on the Syrian refugee issue. Uh, last week we had uh, Johnny Walker, who is a very um, prominent uh, a figure in the uh, special operations community, as he was the uh, hand selected and for eight years straight the interpreter for uh, the Navy SEALs, um, and he was an Iraqi citizen. Uh, he's obviously now an American citizen and very patriotic. And his answer on this this same stance was that there is no, absolutely no room for the Syrian refugees uh, here in our country. No one should be brought into our country until they are vetted 100%. And, you know, guys like him who fought for our government and for our forces um, should be the first people that we're worried about bringing into our country uh, because we, so many of, of, of his uh, co-interpreters and individuals who worked hard for us in Iraq and Afghanistan to save American lives, you know, then they're turned around and told they can't come to our country and be citizens when they fought harder and done more for the United States government than, you know, a lot of our own citizens. Uh, but to bring these people over here and just because of the atrocities over there is absolutely insane and mind-boggling. You know, you don't see – the Kuwaiti government, the Saudi Arabian government, uh, none of those people are bringing any refugees into their country. As a matter of fact, they won't even allow them in their country. So why and why are we taking this on and, and putting people who we know are known troublemakers? And you can't say they're not terrorists uh, because it's already been proven that individuals who have come from the Syrian refugee um, are, are been – already had plots against the United States and have already been arrested for terroristic uh, plans. Well, yeah, you've got the kid. Uh, there was a refugee who uh, supposedly was a part of the terrorist attacks in Paris, right? So you know you know the system has, has happened. The infiltration has happened already. So it's, it's just ridiculous to think. And, but, but here's the thing. The people making these decisions, this is the same person who traded a traitor – for five Guantanamo terrorists, so it, it's it's not surprising. It's just it's it's just wrong and crazy. So I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, you know, now that I'm retired from the military, I can actually uh, I have my free speech back, uh, where I can say exactly <laughs> what I want to say um, and when I want to say it. And that's one of the things that you know I prided myself, uh, me and Alex pride ourselves on on the hot washes. Uh, we don't. Mm-hmm. We're not about being uh, politically correct or uh, not having f- hurt friend reports or hurt feeling reports. So we tell everything 100% like it is, uh, the unadulterated truth. And if you don't like it, you don't have to tune in. Um, you know, I think it's great. I'll give you a good example, and I actually sent you a, a message on it, uh, Senator Green. But you know, when I posted uh, a copy of the post you put about the transgender. Uh, restrooms and uh, how you know you guys are are taking a uh, a lawsuit against uh, President Obama. Uh, I, I reposted that on the hot wash, and you know I had like ten people that uh, unfriended the hot wash or unliked the hot wash, and I thought it was hilarious. But you know what? I, if they don't like it, don't be my friend. Don't don't like the hot wash because I'm going to give you a hundred percent unadulterated truth. And if you can't take the truth, then you probably ought to listen to somebody else's show um, because we're definitely going to put out nothing but the truth on the hot wash. And that's one of the things that I, we, we look for people like you who aren't afraid to come on the air and who aren't afraid to stand up and, and stand for what's right because that's what 
our listeners want to hear. Yeah, and I will tell you about this issue, too. This is not an anti-transgender issue, actually. This is an anti-pervert issue. You know, the transgenders mm-hmm. are not the ones that are that are going around harming people. And I've sat down with people from the gay and lesbian community and said, look, this is an opportunity for you to gain some credibility with people who, who maybe you don't have credibility with right now. Stand up and say, hey, we're for protecting women, too, and it's not us that, that are being attacked by this. It's actually those perverts who are straight guys who want to harm women. I mean, that's who we're protecting women from by standing up to this. So, yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity for, that is, for a certain group of people to lead. Yeah, it's a I agree with you. I agree with you exactly 100%. What it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely okay. is. You know, that's uh, you know, I had a huge debate uh, with a friend of mine. Um, he's a former army officer. He's out of the army now. Um, known him for a very long time um and he was you know a senior field grade officer uh but he is uh, a homosexual and he's been a very good friend of mine uh for probably 15 probably closer to 18 years um actually yeah 18 years um i've known him and we me and him and got got in this debate about this and i said hey look it's not me you know i don't have anything any issues with transgender people if that's what they want that's them you know I don't yeah the way I was raised, you know, very very staunchly raised in the church and very religious, you know, for those of who don't know, my adopted father is a Southern Baptist pastor. Um I believe that one of the biggest mistakes Christians make is, you know, they want to judge people. And you know, I know just as well as you and anyone else, the Bible teaches us, you know, judge not lest you be judged by the same judgment. My job around and tell everybody they're going to hell uh, and tell them they're, you know, what they're doing is wrong and the Bible says it's wrong and you're going to hell. My job as a Christian is to witness to them, tell them about God, try and help them find their way into giving their life to God and, you know, becoming a Christian. But once I've done that, the blood's off my hands. You know, if something is wrong biblically, you know, I'll tell you biblically, but I'm not going to go around beating the, the drum and screaming, you know, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. It's my job to show them love and show yeah. them what a good Christian is supposed to do rather than run around and condemn them. That's one of the huge, you know, I'm not here to attack Christianity by any means, uh, but to run around beating the drum and be the, the town crier saying, oh, you're going to hell. Um, like I said, you know, my job is to try and bring those to Christ as a Christian and then after that, the blood's off my hands. So yeah, I think I'm not going to sit around condemning people. Yeah, and I think in many ways, um, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm as much a libertarian except for a couple of issues as I am a Republican. And, um, I, you know, I believe that what two adults want to do in their home is none of my business, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And but allowing perpetrators of crimes, predators to go into you know easy access to girls in a female bathroom, I just I'm not going to tolerate that. So from my standpoint, that's um, that's what this is all about. And that's exactly my standpoint on it as well, Doctor Green. Uh, you know, and that's the the debate that I got into with this friend of mine um, who is a homosexual was like, you know, that's ridiculous. You're just picking on the transgender. I said, no, I'm not. You know. We're here trying to protect our our females. Our and I say that not in a caveman kind of way, Alex, because people like Alex. Of course not. You know that. Yeah, of course. 
But, yeah. uh, you know, we want to protect our family members and our friends from these predators coming in and having free access and easy targets because it makes them an easy target. Uh, you know, it exactly. brings them one step closer to being, hey, I can just go in here. It's like a kid in a candy store. That's basically what, Correct. you know, compare it to. So that's, I stand with you 100% on that, uh, Senator Green, that that's why it's an issue. Uh, and yeah. we've got to protect our children uh, because in it, I don't know if you saw, I, I basically uh, tagged your name to a post uh, about the a- ACLU uh, leader who has basically um, resigned from the ACLU because of her daughter in public schools being forced to go into bathrooms with transgender supposed, like we're talking about, uh, young 16, 17-year-old boys who claim they are transgender and claim they're, they, you know, identify with females. And we're talking about six foot tall, you know, young men going into these restrooms. And it's got, it had, you know, her daughter to death. Uh, so she's basically resigned from the ACLU because of it, uh, because she stands against it, which wow. I think is, uh, you know, Believe yeah, it or not, you know, you won't hear me say too many things about the ACLU in a positive light, but I was very impressed. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So, Alex, and uh, now that you're back with good comms, talk, ask some questions, girl. Okay, I wanted uh, to, I, to, I wanted to actually, <laughs> no worries whatsoever. Um, I actually wanted to ask about the uh, the I think it was approved right in Tennessee for the CCWs in college and it's kind of a two prong approach uh, because also in the Middle East I found that they were very scared of pistols over uh, rifles and that kind of leads me into um, also a book that you'd written about a night with Saddam so I guess um, just the fear of people having pistols on campus and the fear that people have in the Middle East about pistols, did that originate from Saddam Hussein? Uh, no. I mean, that if you're talking about the the bill allowing uh, people to carry guns on campus, is that what you're talking about? Yes, I am. I am. Yeah, no, that actually bill, that bill was written by uh, a guy by the name of Mike Bell from Cleveland, Tennessee, a good friend of mine, a, a true conservative uh, I, I co-sponsored the bill with him, but that that was his bill. My bill this year did not pass. My bill was on guns was constitutional carry, which basically would say, you know, if you are legally able to own a gun, you can carry it concealed. Um, oh, and it, that bill failed. There are ten states right now in the United States that have constitutional carry, and they don't have any problems. Um, you know, the reason I, I don't understand why Maine passed constitutional carry and Tennessee couldn't. But that's going to continue to be a fight of mine because, you know, I, I believe that the United States is in a situation very similar in, a, in one respect to when we founded the country. You know, when we founded the country, we overthrew a tyrannical government, and it was the armed citizen that was the last line of defense against that tyranny. Well, over the years, we formed a standing armies, and those standing armies uh, provided adequate defense for the country. I mean, they really did because most of the wars were fought overseas or somewhere else. Well, now with mm-hmm. ISIS radicalizing people inside the United States and sending out 100,000 tweets a day, we're back to a situation where really the last line of defense, true homeland security, is going to be the armed citizen. So we have got Absolutely. to do everything. That, yeah, we've got to do everything we can to make sure that people 
who who can legally own a firearm can actually carry it and defend not only themselves but everybody around them. I mean, because it's war, and these people in ISIS are going around cutting people's heads off, radicalizing people right here in our own state, Chattanooga, and mm-hmm. and in San Bernardino. I mean, so so again, the last line of defense is now, you know, soldiers, uh, not soldiers, but I mean uh, citizens, armed citizens. Mm-hmm. And then also the second question was uh, about the pistols, well, about uh, the Middle East and if they were really scared of the pistols over the rifles. I thought that was an interesting thing. And then I kind of wanted to go into uh, what made you write the book about Saddam Hussein. Well, it's interesting. I I never really thought I'd write a book. And then um, this Mm -hmm. guy who was with us, CJ, knows him, Myron Beals, uh, came up to me in in a bumped into me where I was working in an ER and he said, where's your book? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you know, the book about Saddam, dude, you, you interviewed Saddam Hussein the night we caught him and you got to tell that story. And I said, Oh, come on, man. I'm not, I'm not writing about it. He's look, well then write about us. And so I said, okay, then that makes sense. I'll do it. Um, you know, I, um, so I wrote the book and, and I, I, I tell people, especially when I talk about it now, it was really cool to interview Saddam Hussein, but the, the real privilege for me was to work with guys like CJ and the Night Stalkers. They are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I, I oftentimes call them and the customers whom they served uh, Jedi Knights, and I think that's a, a good visual for people. They they are the, the warrior, um, the very best, the, the top, top-notch guys, the best trained, the best equipped, the elite of the elite. And, um, you know, hanging out with them and, Taking care of their families was just a privilege that uh, you know, I'll, I'll never I'll never have a job like that again in my life, and it was awesome. <laughs> I think I can definitely echo that. Uh, that was the best time of my life when we worked together, Dr. Green, and knowing that, and I've said it on the hot watch before, knowing that you're working with the best of the best operators in the entire world. And knowing that when they get injured or hurt, you're the one picking them up on that helo and responsible for their their care and their life en route to uh, an American hospital, that's an, a huge and immense responsibility, and it's definitely something not taken lightly. That's exactly and, right. You know, that was by even, far the best time of my life. Yeah, yeah same here. I, it's you know, I feel kind of like a a guy thinking back to the glory days of high school or, you know, when I was pitching or something like that. I mean, it really is a very special time, and, and I just think back. I see the helicopters. I'm still here, you know, in Clarksville, so I see the helicopters fly over with little probes on them, and I'm like, man, I miss those days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, in a, I'm actually at Fort Bragg, so I see them all the time. <laughs> yep. So, Mark, Mark, let me ask you, uh, outside of the bill that you lobbied for with uh, the constitutional carry and that you co-authored with uh, the, the concealed carry on campuses for the the staff and, I guess, professors, correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. What else have you done in the state of Tennessee? Because um, I know you've done some things, and I want you to expound on it. But activities have you done for veterans in in the state of Tennessee? 
Well, I actually have won the, the Department of Defense gives an award to state legislators who have written pro-veteran legislation, and I've won that award every year I've been in office, which is, you know, I feel very good about. If I if I can say, hey, I've gotten an accolade, that's the one I want to say I've gotten. Um, but it all started with my very first bill. My very first bill, I um, I wrote allowing military drivers to turn in their military license and basically get a CDL from the state of Tennessee. So I figure if you can drive an 18-wheeler flatbed with a tank on the back of it through Baghdad dodging IEDs, you probably are going to be okay in the state of Tennessee, and you don't need to go prove your skills or take any tests. And so I passed that bill, and I, the first year I did it, I, I made it for anybody who was a Tennessee state, um, you know, resident. But then we changed it. I, last year I changed it and made it for any any veteran so that we could recruit, you know, veterans to get out of the Army and stay in Tennessee because we, we love them and we know we're going to serve them well. And plus, quite frankly, we need drivers. You know, there's, there's a big hole in um, – in jobs there. And so we made it any veteran, regardless of this, their state residency, but there've been tons of bills like that, that I did. I, you know, one of the bills I did, um, and, and I really like this bill. We made it a law that if uh, a veteran gets moved from another state into Tennessee and their spouse has any kind of license, say cos cosmetology or something like that, maybe, maybe the wife is a barber or a nurse, you know, and, and needs an RN license from the state of Tennessee. In the case of veterans, we told all the state agencies that they had 30 days to get the license approved because oftentimes what happens is those veterans are dependent upon that second income, and when they move, you know, what will happen is is that the, the person with, say, an RN's license will stay in the state where they were, and it divides the military family, you know, because they need that double income, so we basically told, you know, the medical board and the board of cosmetology and all these different boards that you have 30 days to issue a license of some kind to the uh, to the spouse of a veteran. And that bill, you know, that bill is a great bill. It really takes care of militaries and their families. And there's just tons of examples like that. What was the what was the thing you recently sponsored or uh, did with the the tags license plate? Oh, property tags. Oh, a license plate. Yeah, we did a um, a bill that creates a combat license plate. So basically, if you've got it in a, gotten a CIB, you can get a, a little a, a license plate that has a you put the sticker on. It'll say Combat Infantryman's Badge, and then you know, in in our case, Combat Medic's Badge, um, and whatever your badge is that that it, I think in the Marine Corps, it's Combat Action Ribbon. So it would say Combat Action Ribbon on the on the tag. And the forty dollars from the tag that you, that you pay to get a vanity license plate goes to a uh, Centerstone Military Counseling and Soldiers and Families Embrace to pay for free PTSD counseling for soldiers and their families. Wow, that's awesome! We actually, that's yeah, and you know what's really cool about that? The year we implemented it, the year prior to us implementing it, we had fourteen National Guardsmen in Tennessee commit suicide. The year after we implemented it, we had zero. Oh wow! Wow, that's huh. amazing. And then see that I I didn't I was unaware of that. That that's phenomenal. Yeah. So at least as, tar as far as the guard goes, we've 
we've really made some huge strides. In the, and I'll tell you, the tag, too, in Tennessee does a great job with that. Uh, General Haston, they put together a Ranger Buddy app on your iPhone for all guardsmen. And they can actually, if they, you know, get to struggling, they can just tap that and their Ranger Buddy pops up on the phone with them. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Wow, that's Let's a really cool program. Let's move to Tennessee, program, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? It's a great state. Volunteer state. Love it. So one of the things that, uh, you know, goes kind of along the lines with that, I've, I know I've talked to you about it before, uh, you know that I'm involved with the, the Veteran Search and Recovery Program, the National Veteran Search and Rescue Program. Uh, and and yeah. kind of one of the things that uh, we are dead set on is, is obviously stopping veteran suicide. That's our, our you know, first my mission and priority. And one of the things that, you know, we're big on is we know that 24 to 48 hours prior to a veteran committing suicide, they usually disappear off of social media. Uh, they kind of withdraw from their family and friends. And during that 24 to 48 hours, it's key to finding them uh, because we we know through uh, statistics that that's the, the time that we can intervene and catch them before they make that fatal flaw of taking their own life. So one of the things that uh, we want that we're pushing in and trying to get legislation started on is, and I believe it, we have someone in the state of uh, Idaho pushing for the legislation, but is a missing warrior alert. So it's the same idea as an amber alert for a child or a silver alert, um, you know, for an elderly individual with Alzheimer's. But we want to make it to where there's a program known for a missing warrior um, alert when we have a veteran who is suicidal. Uh, or homicidal and uh, has kind of gone off the reservation and we're looking for them trying to save taking their own life. And, you know, it's been a very effective uh, tool. Uh, We we send out a basically a missing persons poster, uh, gets generated, and we blast it out on social media. And it's been a very effective tool in – recovering veterans prior to them making the fatal flaw. So one of the things that we do, you know, is our vision is to get the the National Veteran Search and Recovery Program launched, you know, where we're nationwide, where we can actually put boots on the ground looking for an individual when they're off out in the woods uh, debating taking their life. And we know where their last known location was, um, is having guys that can go out there and talk to them, guys who are veterans. um, You know, and obviously, you know, you want trained professionals um, talking with individuals, but not biggest majority of the time, a veteran doesn't want to talk to somebody who hasn't been in combat or hasn't seen the stress and the same experiences they've had. You can put another veteran in there and they'll talk their ear off and have become very effective at talking them down and talking them off that ledge. So that's kind of where we're going with that, you know, working on getting that program set up nationally but there's actually um, the program we're looking at getting implemented is that missing warrior alert. And, you know, it was based off, it was founded by uh, Rachel Jackson uh, and Eric Jorgensen's mother. Um, it's Eric's law to try and get that implemented where we have liaisons with local law enforcement agencies at the, uh, the county uh, and the state level um, to have people to liaise with uh, veterans and suicidal veterans and, and teach the law enforcement and the community on proper ways of dealing with the veterans uh, and not just treating them like, you know, just a normal citizen. Not that I think they um, 
you know, I'm not saying we treat them with uh, kid gloves, but, you know, there's there's some intricacy, some unique ways to deal with veterans that you can't just treat them like all ordinary Joe citizens when it comes to situations. Because we know well, that there's certain trigger points and certain things. Yeah, I was going to say they've been through a lot, so they definitely deserve the treatment. Yeah. So what do you think is a pivotal point where a veteran would try to commit suicide? What's the what seems to be like the main factor? Is it because they lose I hear they lose the brotherhood sometimes when they dis you know, de um disconnect, you know, with their brothers sometimes and they can't, you know, because everybody has their own life when they retire and, and things like that. Or is it the family support? I mean, as as a support, um, what can we do better as a family? I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you touch on there, but the prime issue for most guys who, um, you know, go down that path is a sense of hopelessness that their issue can't be fixed. And you, again, you touched on a little bit of it with nobody else understands it. So they get isolated from people who have had similar experiences. They're back in the civilian world where there aren't any other veterans. They get that, they they sort of are wrestling with the demons and they think that there's no way to get the demons to go away. You know, the, the, the visions of a dead friend or, you know, their own life being taken and, and fear overwhelming them. So the sense of hopelessness is what causes them to be pushed over the edge. And I think that was the gist of your question. Mm-hmm. And then what could we do as a, a family support to better support our veterans? Well, I think CJ hit the nail on the head when he said get them to some professional help because, yeah, and of course be their friend too and and encourage them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been trying to to say to people is to my fellow veterans, your duty is not done. You may be out of the army, but your duty, your job, your duty to this country is not over. And and the reason I say that is is the soul of this nation right now is at a turning point. Um, People don't understand what it means to sacrifice. They don't understand what it means to put others' interests above your own. But veterans do that. You know, soldiers and sailors, Marines, do that every day when you're in in the military. And so I tell the veterans, look, you go back to hometown USA and tell your story. Tell people what you did. Let them praise you and pat you on the back because they need that more than you do. Um, mm. They, This nation needs to hear about your story because it's the heart and soul of the nation that's in jeopardy right now. And those veterans can tell a story that will help shape some young kid's life, um, and we need that desperately. So every veteran I bump into, even the ones that are struggling, I tell them, your job's not done. There's another dragon to slay. And it's apathy in this nation. It's no work ethic in this nation. It's no commitment to our sense of sacrifice or sense of duty. So go tell your story and slay that dragon. Um, you know, I think that helps guys that are struggling with, with a sense of purpose. I agree with you 100%. So and I think that that's, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about uh, all the time is just like you hit on they they lose that sense of belonging and they they mo- lose that uh, mission focus of having something to do every single day and having that family and that camaraderie and you know that's one of the things that's missing. Well, you give you know you give a depressed veteran a purpose in life 
and it changes their whole outlook. It changes everything for them. And some of the biggest advocates we have uh, and some of the hardest workers we have uh, on committing veteran or preventing veteran suicide are those veterans that we've helped before uh, and that we've actually talked down off of that ledge uh, and, and, you know, brought them into the fold after they've, you know, realized they were heading down a wrong path and they've corrected their, their azimuth, as we like to put it and got them back on the straight azimuth. And I'll tell you what, they're some of the hardest working um, people out there advocating to prevent veteran suicide. So in making them a part of that team that can help go out and look and, and talk to their fellow battle buddies, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing thing. Uh, one of the, the guys that I know Alex is familiar with, I don't know if you are Mark, but uh, Chris Bemis is a former first, uh, first, the 75th Ranger um, who, was actually in the uh, the Pandery uh, accident in Mosul. Um, yeah, survived that, broke his back in that, survived that. Uh, he actually came back to the states and uh, was coping with his PTSD and uh, his issues. And he's been a guest on the Hot Wash. Uh, he'll tell you straight out that he was suicidal, uh, and at many times he had a gun in his mouth. Um, he turned to alcohol and drugs, uh, wrecked his truck, and now he's a quadriplegic. Um, but Chris Bemis's daily life is he lives to prevent veterans from taking their lives. That guy is like a machine 23 hours a day. He is chasing guys down, uh, whether it be on the, the, the Internet, whether it's on the phone. He's always out there looking for his, uh, his fellow veterans and his Ranger buddies and trying to prevent them from making the fatal flaw of taking their own life. So, you know, guys like him are, he's an icon in the veteran community. Uh, He really is. Uh, Anybody who follows the veteran community, uh, as far as publicly, uh, you know, the guys that everyone's into range 15 and, uh, you know, article 15 clothing, um, you know, Matt Best, uh, JT and uh, Rocco, you know, everybody that's following those guys, they're a positive role model, but then you got Chris Bemis, who's just as, and I hate to use the word famous, but famous in the veteran community for his uh, work in stopping suicide in the veteran community. So there's a lot of people out there who it's their passion every single day. And I know it's definitely a passion that you have, uh, Dr. Green, because I know you well, and I know where your heart is. And I think that it's great yeah. that uh, you're so involved in taking care of our veterans, especially uh, in the state of Tennessee. And I know that you're you're definitely only going to continue that work and, and take it national one day. Yeah, that's that, well, <laughs> you're you're making some implications there when you say take it national about my political future. But uh, yeah, I I definitely um, want to see these guys. You know, they're they're my brothers, they're my sisters, uh, and. So I don't want to see any of them hurt. Uh, and so I'll do everything I can to help them realize that the country still needs them and that their duty isn't over, you know. Yeah, and just uh, to just touch on this point, because I'm an ambassador for the Green Beret Foundation, but I was watching this documentary, and it uh, was this veteran who said, you know, I'm just physically broken. I'm not mentally broken. He says he wants to continue his mission. Um, he just said he just wants the VA to fix him. You know, he doesn't want any money. He doesn't want any handouts. He just wants to contribute back to society. He just wants yeah. to be worth something. He just wants value. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um I mean just telling their story, 
you know, just go to high schools and tell that story, give speeches, run for office. Heck, mm-hmm. need more veterans serving in, in political office because, you know, the the decisions that have to be made, um, you know, particularly at the federal level as it relates to going to war as a nation, things like that, we need people who've actually been there helping make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to ask you, uh, what's your favorite thing about being a Tennessean, even if that's not a word? <laughs> the people. The people in Tennessee yes. are just so, you know, they're just so awesome. And when when I got to the 160th, I, I had moved from Fort Hood. And pretty much as soon as I got there, my wife and I, you know, I, I basically deployed because I came mm-hmm. in in 02. And the unit was already at war, and so I, I show up, sign in, go to combat. Well, um, the community here in Clarksville just loved on my family like none we had ever seen. You know, a local mm. at our church, a, an older couple adopted my wife and kids and would take them out to dinner after church every Sunday. And uh, the school system actually hired counselors to come in and talk to our kids while our kids were deployed. Um I mean, I just had never, ever experienced anything like that. And we just thought, man, these people are just amazing, and they are. And so that's part of the reason why I, I ran for office was I just felt like I owed the people of Clarksville back, you know, um, for having taken care of you my family. You fell in love with Tennessee. I did. I fell in love. And, and it's a beautiful state, too. I mean, the mountains and um, the streams, and I'm a trout fisherman, so it's just perfect for me. <laughs> So when is so? What do you? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, CJ. Go for it. Hello. Did I lose you guys? Are you there? Oh, I'm there, sir. Sorry about that. I actually muted okay. myself for once. Wow. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. I know you're you're getting ready for a re-election campaign, and I just wanted to to ask you uh, some questions about that. Uh, some of the when when that takes place, when is the the next general election for Tennessee um, that that you're campaigning for for this next uh, time frame? Well, sure, I'm I'm campaigning right now for the next election, which is August the fourth, and that's the primary election. Uh, you know where prime where Republicans will go pick their candidate and Democrats will go pick their candidate, and hopefully, you know there won't be any crossover there. But uh, the uh, no, that's that's August the fourth, and after that, I've got um, November. You know, the the first Tuesday in November will be um, the the general election. So I'll you know Republicans take on Democrats and Independents, et cetera. So um, that that's kind of what we're we're looking at right now, and we're out knocking on doors and telling people that we have enjoyed it and we want to go back and asking for their vote. Now, you have a website where uh, people could also join in the campaign for our veteran listeners and things like that to help. Do you have a website? Yeah, it's Mark Green for Tennessee, and you can just get there by spelling it all out, Mark Green for Tennessee, F-O-R. Or you can go to Mark Green, the number four, TN.com. So Mark Green for Tennessee or Mark Green, the number four, TN.com. And uh, that's my website, and you can you can sign up to volunteer. You can you know donate, and every little bit helps. Uh, you know these this one thing I've realized is that uh, politics. There's a lot of money involved, unfortunately, um, 
we spent about a million dollars to get me elected the first time, you know, just a state senator in Tennessee. So we have to raise some money. So any amount, you know, that people can help out with is great. And I promise I won't let anybody down. I'm going to work, continue to take care of veterans and reduce the size of government and reduce taxes and get government out of the way of business so jobs can be created, you know, those kinds of things. You're not just saying it because you've actually done a lot so far, just your first time in office. I think that's fantastic, and I think, like you said, veterans should really get involved. I see a lot of people complaining, but they just do a lot of complaining, and you're the one that's taking action. So I applaud you for that. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's it's not easy being in the arena, so to speak. I mean, my, my during my first election, the opponent ran something against me that was you know, completely untrue. And my kids get the mailer, and, and they bring the mail up and say, Dad, is that you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> that is not me. But, um, you know, it's just all a part of it. I think the political discourse in the country has really gotten, uh, you know, pretty rough. And uh, but it, But we've got to stand the barrage and stand up for what we believe and get this country back to its founding principles. So I encourage as many veterans who can to run for office. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, what advice, you know, I think that it's we do need more veterans in office because we need individuals who have actually been there and fought for our freedom and, and respect. Um, not to say that the everyday man doesn't respect, but I think the everyday politician um, doesn't respect um, what it means to be out on the battlefield and fighting. You know, they can say they do, but until you've walked a mile on their shoes, you really don't know what it's like. And I, there's so many, from my standpoint, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the, I see so many who haven't served our country, and they're in the, the political field, and, you know, they're senators or congressmen, even, you know, at the national level, um, who don't know what they're really talking about when – it comes to veterans and the sacrifices that have been made to the veteran or by the veterans. And they're the ones supposed to be rallying and fighting for our rights and forming our country. And they don't know the first thing about what freedom actually tastes like. Because they're built on theory. I mean, you know, it's all theory and you guys have been there, done that and you see the problem firsthand and you're fixing it. Yeah. It's about perspective. You know, it's really about perspective. And, you know, do you want a guy doing brain surgery who's on you for the first time? You know, you don't. You want somebody who's experienced it and who's done it a bunch to be making decisions about how your brain surgery ought to be done. Well, if a nation is sitting down and thinking about going to war and making decisions about going to war, maybe the guy helping to make that decision ought to have been somebody who's gone to war. So it's just, I agree 100% me, it's, on that. It's just intuitive. You know, it's intuitive. And so we we need more veterans. And I think, uh, CJ, you were about to ask me what would I, how would I advise veterans to get involved. And, and I would tell them, first of all, if they can find a candidate whom they like, to volunteer with that candidate. Walk around, knock some doors with the candidate. Talk, you know, do some grassroots politicking. Uh, go to a fundraiser. Um you know, and see how the process works, number one. And then number two, be involved in a party. You know, be involved in one of the parties and 
you know, hopefully it's the, you know, they're conservative and it's the Republican Party. But either way, you know, that's, that's what's democracy is so great. Um, so whichever party you're in, go and be involved and go to party meetings and see what's going on. Help raise funds for the party and put signs out, all that kind of stuff. And you can kind of see what what the process is like. Um, it's really easy. Cost you a Saturday a, a month or, um, you know, during an election cycle, maybe a little more than that. But um and then, and then you get a firsthand view of it. Then you can make a decision whether or not you think, well, I'm gifted to be a legislator, or I'm gifted to be a mayor, or a, a, an executive branch kind of person, a governor. Um, you know, or, or perhaps go to law school and become a judge. You know, because that that too, we need veterans who are making those kinds of decisions um, too. So it's it's just we can we can contribute at every level. And I, and this is what I say about veterans. The, the only thing limiting a veteran is his own imagination, because if he sets his mind to it, he or she, they're going to accomplish it. So, mm-hmm. one, dream big, and two, go make it happen. Uh, and and I think I think that's what's awesome about guys and gals who've been downrange. You know, they know how to make it happen. Absolutely, life is not yeah. a spectator sport. Get up, go do. Yep. That's actually a hundred percent. You know, I, I echo that a hundred percent. And you know, you 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 can't give up on something if you've never tried. Uh, you can't about something if you're not willing to stand up and be a part of the resolution. I mean, you can, but what are you really doing? You're, doing, you're not doing yeah, anything to contribute. Be... To yeah, at that point, you're just a mocker. That's you know, one of my favorite things involved, when people you... complain about complain about the presidency or complain about politicians, uh, but yet they're the first ones to say, well, I don't vote. Really? Come on now. You've got to be a part of the solution. You can't just sit around and be uh, nobody just to run their mouth. It's like you, you know, that's just like you said, that's something you've, uh, you got to be a part of the solution. Yep. So I think one of the, the big things that, uh, you know, I definitely, uh, I've, I say it all the time, and I know I've, I've got a lot because, you know, I'm from Tennessee. I've got a lot of friends and family there in Tennessee um, that uh, were listening today. Um, I actually really surprised some of them didn't call in. Uh, but one of the things I definitely uh, will say 100%, and I've posted it several times, is Dr. Uh, Tennessee State Senator Dr. Mark Green is definitely taking a stand for Tennessee. Uh, he's not going to take uh, anything sitting down. He's not going to take anything that the federal government is trying to push down to our level uh, lightly. He definitely will stand up and fight for our rights in the state of Tennessee and make sure that we have proper transportation uh, to prevent the federal government from shoving things down our throat uh, without a fight. That's definitely one thing that I can guarantee you about Mark Green. And I'm very honored to call him a friend and uh, a fellow night stalker. And I, I love seeing where you're at today, Mark, because uh, I remember, you know, when you were my battalion flight surgeon and now sitting around and you talking about uh, your aspirations of uh, going into the political arena one day. And it, it just makes me so proud and happy to see you where you're at today. And I know you're you're only going to do bigger and better things uh, in the future. And uh, I, I will support you and campaign for you. Uh, until I have no breath, that's for deaf. You know, I, I support everything you you stand for. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. And I well, will have to say, I had one of my first uh, earthquakes. Nice with Mark to meet and, you. Uh, 
Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I remember that. We were we were at Bagram and uh the first first and only earthquake I've ever experienced. So we were sitting, uh, you know, we, we were in this old uh, Russian building in Alex uh, that we had commandeered, and uh, it was building a, big enough for us to build a platform uh, to basically make a little second second story inside of this building, and that's where we kept our bunks. And we were all up there laying down, um, and all of a sudden the building starts shaking, and uh, Mark raises up, I raise up, we look at each other, and we're like, what? is that and then it started shaking a little bit more and i think that's an earthquake so it was definitely uh definitely a weird experience uh especially sitting on that that uh platform wooden platform where we had made that second story inside of that old russian building that uh, tim talbot helped build so we definitely uh were testing out the skills of our craftsmanship uh by sleeping up there every night that's for sure yeah that was that was pretty crazy I'm glad you guys made it back safely so you can go on to big, big, you know, bigger, better things. I cannot wait to see what your career will be like, Mark, in five years. And thank you so much for everything you've done. Thanks, and thanks for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed it today. Definitely uh, want to say thanks, Mark. I'll tell you, um, I'm from East Tennessee, from Morgan County, and uh, I've actually had uh, – my adopted mother and uh, several of my friends in Morgan County uh, contact me and say, who is this Mark Green guy? Um, we're hearing, we're hearing about him. Uh, you know, what is he, who's, you know, what's he stand for? What's his policies? And I, you know, I, I tell them where to go check you out and, you know, definitely uh, campaigning for you uh, in East Tennessee and Morgan County. And uh, I think you're gaining uh, a lot of uh, support down there uh, with people, um, there was a meeting in the Oneida area that I think uh, you might have been at or, or something, um, and a lot of people came back from that, that meeting to Morgan County, and we're talking uh, a lot of good things and positive things about uh, Senator Mark Green. So uh, I'm yeah. definitely excited. I'll actually be in uh, Morgan County this Saturday evening at their Flag Day ceremony. I'm the I'm the speaker for that, and I, I get to talk about the, the stars and stripes and what they mean to guys like you and I. Well, I will definitely uh, tell my uh, adopted mother and father uh, to come find you personally um, because they definitely, uh, like I said, he's a Southern Baptist pastor, pastors of church there in Morgan County, and uh, they are very uh, politically, I don't, I don't want to say the word politically, but they're very much in tune with uh, politics and uh, election stuff. So uh, I definitely will have them come look for you because they were definitely asking me if I knew who you were. Um, it was quite comical that uh, my mother was at a meeting, and uh, someone brought up Mark Green's name, and uh, they said, well, he used to be a, a flight surgeon uh, in in the military. Uh, you know, he was a helicopter. Work, that's how it was worded. He worked in aviation and, and was a flight surgeon on a helicopter. And uh, my mom immediately sent me a text message and said, do you know Mark Green? And she's at this big, you know, meeting, and uh, – I said, yeah, absolutely. I know who Mark Green. Why are you asking? She told me where she was at, and she said, "Yep, CJ knows him. Um, my son says to vote for him for sure. Anything." So <laughs> I thought it was quite comical uh, that they were, at, you know, a, a political meeting, and my mom sends me the message because people there had not heard, you know, who Mark Green was yet. So it was quite awesome. Well, that is. Uh, I really appreciate that, man. Thanks. That's awesome. So I'll definitely uh, tell tell my mom and dad to come check you out uh, what at the flag day ceremony for sure. 
Yep, Morgan County. Well, I definitely want to say uh, thanks for coming on today, Mark. Uh, you know, before we sign off, um, if there's anything else that you want to, um, any of the organizations you work with or anything that you'd like to plug um, and put out information on how people can find out more about Senator Mark Green, uh, definitely please recap that for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, and thanks for that. Uh, well, the organization that I really, you know, am pushing hard for is Soldiers and Families Embrace because they do – PTSD counseling as a whole family instead of just treating the soldier. And I think that that's a part of the healing process. And another one is called Reboot for Recovery, which is an organization that sort of looks at the spiritual aspects of PTSD. And a lot of people seem to be leaving that aspect out and that you're going to treat, treat the whole human, you know, the whole person, you kind of got to look at their spiritual issues too. And, but as far as supporting me and, and helping me as I'm, you know, continue to serve, what is the best district in the state of Tennessee, the Clarksville community, second highest concentration of veterans in America. Um, you know, you can just go to Mark Green for Tennessee, Mark Green, uh, www.markgreenfortennessee or markgreen4, number 4, uh, tn.com. And uh, you read about where I stand on the issues, what I'm fighting for, and, and sign up to help. And we'll send a yard sign, you know, and, and uh, we'd love to have some volunteers. So, Anybody wants to come knock doors with us, we're doing it tomorrow. That's actually awesome. And uh, I definitely tell the listeners out there, you know, I might not have the largest uh, audience base yet, uh, and we're working on that. Um, but I do definitely have a lot of uh, listeners, and uh, a lot of Tennessee listeners especially. Um, I Once again, I'll tell you right now, first and foremost, uh, I will support and endorse Mark Green for anything he runs for. Um, and he definitely has my support 100% because I know he has definitely got uh, America's back. He's got uh, the state of Tennessee's back. Uh, he has our, our fellow brothers and sisters, our veterans' backs, uh, 110%. So that that's definitely uh, no, no question asked that I will definitely support you in everything you do. So I thank so much. Thank you so much for coming on the hot wash today, taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk there. And uh, anybody who is listening in today, the episode is definitely archived at uh, Blog Talk Radio. You can follow the link that uh, took you to the show today. It'll be archived, and you can go back and listen to it anytime. And definitely, uh, Alex, uh, we definitely had a great guest today. And if, if there's anything you want to plug uh, before you head out, uh, please feel free to plug no, uh, anything you've got going. I just wanted to say I'm really proud of you, and I'm part of, and I'm really proud of the veterans who just go out and uh, make things happen. Well, thank but you. That's I appreciate it. I'll tell you, Mark uh, Alex is uh, definitely uh, not one to 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 blow her own horn, uh, but she does a lot of stuff for veterans, um, and she doesn't boast about it. But she's definitely a big, huge av- uh, veteran advocate and does a lot of good things for the veteran community. And I'm definitely, you know, happy to have her as my co-host on this show and, and say that she's definitely Aww. one of my best friends. Um, and she's even got me calling her a bestie now. So, you know, I had, that sounds a little weird coming out of my mouth. But uh, she's definitely one of my besties, though, for sure. You are That's my BFF. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, guys, once again, thanks again. Thank you so much, Doc. I appreciate it. Uh, again, guys, thanks for listening to the Hot Watch with Alex and CJ today and Tennessee State Senator Mark Green. Uh, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Uh, Night Stalkers don't quit. No, they don't. They just keep going like yeah. the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye.
Have a good one. When you stay